Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. And hello again, everybody, and good Saturday evening, and welcome into another edition of the MI6 Sports Network's Late Night Sports Talk Show. That, of course, folks, is the night shift on episode number 31 for this Saturday night, December 12, 2020, wrapping up the final full week of college football before, of course, we enjoy some conference championship games the following Saturday. Per usual, folks, joined by our fellow Late Night MI6 uh, co-host, our buddy Isaiah Leung from the home studios up there in Fremont, California, and our good man John Alcorn joining us from deep in the heart of Texas, yours truly, Cal McClurg, from the home studios in San Diego. Isaiah, good to see you, man. Of course, good to see you and Trevor holding down the fort, uh, fort on No BS on Friday. Good to see you, man. How are we doing tonight? Yeah, it's great to see you back once again, Callan. Um, you know, we missed you yesterday on No BS. Actually, you know, I want to thank you for not being on yesterday's specific edition of No BS because with your app, because with your absence, it allowed me to break one of our rules for pigskin pickup and retract one of my predictions that I had originally made for the Navy Army game. So, like, because. You know, Google had glitched on me, and I had to retract my prediction or else I would look completely stupid. So that's what happened yesterday. But it's great to have you back, man. Uh, you know, I'm going to interrupt you. You even told me it was not a Google glitch. You just winged that segment. So guess what, Isaiah? No, your pick is not being retracted because I wasn't on air yesterday. So sorry, man. I, I'm really happy because Army won, which was my pick. But, you know, Callan, it's the Christmas season. Is a <laughs> Christmas no. season is officially here. The studio has undergone, uh, undergone massive decorations. We've got uh, a poinsettia flower right here. Got me rocking the, uh, the Santa hat. We're going to have more decorations as the, hol as the holidays creep uh, closer and closer. But, you know, the reason why I'm also rocking the Santa hat tonight is because Christmas has come early again for me, Cal and John, because, you know, Tom Herman is being kept at Texas, and that means... What? Yes, that means we're going to have a long, long, long rant by my good friend John Alcorn here. So I've got a pina colada that I just whipped up like a couple minutes before the show. I'm going to sit back here in my chair, enjoy myself a nice glass of pina colada, and just listen to John rant about his Texas Longhorns keeping Tom Herman. I can't wait for that. Go ahead, Khaled, John. I'm, I miss one program for work yesterday, and everything just goes into oblivion. Someone please send me a beer, or I'll have some of John's whiskey. But with that, folks, John Alcorn. <laughs> Also joining us on this Saturday night, John, is, uh, as usual, man, good to see you. How are we doing tonight on this Saturday evening down there deep in the heart of Texas, my friend? I've never been speechless when it comes to football, as anybody knows. I'm blessed in life, but in football right now, 
My Broncos are garbage. My UT is garbage. And as you see in my nickname for tonight, Fiverr Tom Herman. When I saw the news, I'll get into that in a minute. I'm beyond frustrated. It is a big middle finger, not using the actual one, but the big middle finger to all Longhorn fans everywhere because they're not committed to winning. They don't care about discipline. They don't care if you go play hoopla or hookah, whatever you do. I don't understand why, but they're getting desperate. Desperate times calling for desperate measures. Again, folks, want to thank Isaiah and Trevor for holding down the fort yesterday. As uh, mentioned, uh, college basketball season underway uh, was called in or had to go and work two games. But we sadly found out once our first game concluded yesterday that the men's basketball game would not be played last night. But instead of us leaving early or going to waste, the men used that opportunity to play a, a two-half scrimmage game amongst themselves with uh, the live uh, announcer and me being there still. And again, uh, they uh, did their best to uh, make the most out of the situation. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to get back on the floor as early as Monday versus Nevada, Reno. But as a reminder, folks, every Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday, myself and Isaiah and sometimes John come your way here every Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday to recap all the big games, big plays, big news and the, of uh, course, big scores of the day and give you a Cliff Notes version of your day in sports every single Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday at 10 o'clock Pacific time right here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. And of course, guys, welcome in the viewers. Again, uh, missed out on the uh, viewer input yesterday with the course being gone on uh, announcing assignment yesterday. Uh, Casey King, as usual, guys, chiming in. Hello to everybody and good evening to you all as well. Uh, Chardol throwing Isaiah under the bus, saying, Isaiah, I hate you so much because you picked Army <laughs> over Navy in today's game. Was looking forward to the Navy midshipman uh, shipment to winning this game. He's also, Isaiah, enraged by your selection. Though, Chardot, like I said, though, he said Navy first. But, again, you cannot retract even if I'm not here, Isaiah. And you know that I'm watching regardless of what the scoop is. So, sadly, Isaiah, Floyd Mayweather's giving you an L right now. So, take it and run with it. With that in mind, though, guys, plenty of college football on this uh, Saturday. But before that, folks, we're now diving into another day of the network's 31 days of MI6 Sports Network Hot Takes and our 31 days of the Hot Takes Bracket Challenge. This is, I believe now, we may missing yesterday. I believe this is now day 12 or day 13. I believe it's day 13 now of our Network Bracket Challenge. With that, folks, uh, tonight's matchup features a behind-the-scenes member, our good buddy Martin Garcia, who, of course, helped uh, um, help uh, build our uh, network website. Martin, earlier this year, picked the Atlanta Falcons to win the NFC South Division. Will that knock out Ryan Schreiner in his NBA draft night uh, reaction to the Cavs selecting Isaac Okoro? You're voting for either Martin or Ryan in tonight's matchup of the MI6 Sports Network's um, bracket challenge here tonight for the matchup. With that, fellas, in mind, uh, let's move on over into today's games. First up, guys, the 121st meeting all time between Navy and Army from a very, very foggy uh, Mikey Stadium out there in West Point, New York. It's a shutout bid by Army over Navy, 15-0 in this ballgame for the Black Knights over the midshipmen. As we have said, though, guys, Navy with a very up-and-down season, and Navy and uh, Army wins their eighth game of the season. But Isaiah, more so in this game, 
This boils down to not the weather, not the crowd not being a factor as it usually is for this uh, for the scheme where you have a sellout crowd of 76,000 people. Should also mention, as Trevor said on Friday, the first time since 1943 during World War II that this game has been played on a campus for this game. It's typically at a neutral site, whether it's been in Chicago, Pasadena, Baltimore, or Philadelphia over the course of its uh, legendary history. But Isaiah, to me, though, this game boils down to three big-time blunders by the Navy midshipmen, not converting on fourth and goal from the one-yard line in regards to uh, the bad play call. They actually got backed up from the one-yard line after a great 64-yard run by their quarterback, not recovering a fumble in Army territory as the ball bounced around and rolled out of bounds. And thirdly, the backbreaker, a very weird but sadly a safety at the worst possible time for us to come to fruition. Isaiah, this is more about Navy beating themselves more than I think Army actually won this game. But for a while there, Isaiah, this was a 3-0 ball game up until the fourth quarter when Navy came unglued, though, with bad play, but also undisciplined play with uh, penalties, you know, extracurricular activities when the whistle was blown, uh, flags being thrown, all that stuff, but more so. To me, Isaiah, this is more about Navy beating themselves than Army, in my mind, actually winning this game. But your thoughts and takeaway from the... Fog Bowl out there in uh, West Point, New York today. Well, Khaled, John, um, first of all, I am extremely happy at the result of this game because I picked Army to win that game. So add another tally. No, enough. You did not pick Army to win this game. You picked Navy like me and Trevor. Face the music. So this game, it, it was... It came down to pretty much that that fumble that Army had and Navy not being able to pick that up. Because from what I saw on TV, if Navy picks up that fumble, I believe uh, I think it was number nine that had the football right in his hand, but he like he looked ahead to yeah he looked ahead to you know scoring a touchdown and he drops the ball. While in the middle of picking it up, he drops the ball, ball rolls out of bounds. If he picks it up cleanly and he doesn't look ahead, that is a touchdown for Navy as there was a wide open lane for him to run through and for him to get to the end zone. That would have changed the entire game for the Navy midshipmen. But that didn't happen. And when after that, I just felt like uh, Navy was just deflated after that, um, you know, that mishandle of the football. And that's why, like, I didn't really see that energy that they had been playing with throughout the entire game after that backbreaker of, of a play. That I believe that game came down to that mishandle of a football. And it's very, very unfortunate because it was such a great game. And who knows what would have happened if Navy does score a touchdown there. It would have made it 7-3. to three. And then uh, Army would have the ball. And with the way they were moving the ball, I, I really – do not see how Army would have won this game. So Army really caught a huge break uh, in terms of Navy not being able to handle the football. But, you know, this game was kind of expected um, in terms of the playing style. Uh, I told everybody or all of our audience yesterday on the show that this game would just be run, 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 and run. You would not see many passes in this football game. And, in fact, you only saw two combined passes by both teams. Army had one pass. Navy had one pass. I mean, my God, those quarterbacks look like if you if you just take, like, the stats into consideration, 
those quarterbacks, they look like the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Because just look at this. Dalen Morris, the uh, the Navy quarterback, he was one for three for nine yards. He had such a great completion percentage. And then the Army quarterback, uh, Tyhear Tyler, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. He had a 1,000% completion percentage so i mean if you if you weren't watching the game you just look at the stats you would think that these guys had or were the greatest quarterbacks of all time but it came down to that mishandle of the football by navy on that fumble by army and if they had picked it up cleanly it would have been a whole other ball game than what it was today John, I think Isaiah's right, though, but uh, James Gonzalez, I think, said it better, though, in the chat box, that Isaiah was right, though, about the low scoring in this game. As mentioned, it finishes 15-0 in favor of Army at home today, as we have already said, though, folks, but this game had to be played due to, of course, the ongoing uh, COVID pandemic on the campus of West Point for the first time since World War II. But more so, John, like I said, though, this is more in my mind about Navy beating themselves again. Bad play down the stretch with penalties at the worst possible time. You take a safety already down 12-0. You can't score on the goal line after the longest run of the game at 64 yards, and you get stuffed not once, not twice, or three times, but all four times basically running the same play, a pitch to the left or a run straight ahead, though, and Army's defense collapses and is able to keep out of the end zone. And not just that as well, the fumble that I think could have, I think, turned this game on its side and probably swung the momentum all the way back in favor of the midshipmen, but sadly, it doesn't go that route. And as we already had said, though, too many, uh, you know, undisciplined play as well by uh, Navy with a lot of, you know, very unnecessary penalties as the game wore on and wore on. Uh, John, any thoughts here about uh, Army's victory over Navy? Again, 15-0 they win at home and uh, take down the midshipmen here tonight. Despite their record, in all my years in watching football, I don't know how bad the team is. Maybe you could say the weather is a factor in this, but I've never seen a college game like this where a quarterback has one completed pass. I understand when we talk about the right game, you think that maybe, okay, it's the running game. It would be, a, the score would be a lot higher, but your running back has 26 carries despite, I'm sorry, your quarterback here had 26 carries. How does that happen where your starting quarterback in college has to run the ball like a running back. Still averages less than four, what, less than 3.8 yards per carry in a TD. If it wasn't for him and his, sorry, if it wasn't for him and his mobility for even half the game, for half the stats, you can see them losing this game. This is one of the most oddest games. It's not like Navy's known for their football. They're known for the military, not their football. I mean, same thing you could say about Army. I've never seen a game, and we could say because of weather, and I can give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Such a game where they're just running the football. Your backup quarterback for Navy went 0 for 4. So it's not like this team had this offensive firepower that was lighting teams up. They said, Army is not the team to beat, blah, blah, blah. But I've never seen a game like this in a very long time. Navy is running backs. If you like 28, 30, Four, 35, almost 40 attempts with all of the running backs combined. Also, with your backup, I think he's a backup quarterback for Navy. Correct. Xavier Arline, I probably butchered that name. He went 0 for 4, but yet had 11 rushing attempts. Sorry, 17 carries, 109 yards. Your backup quarterback 
this doesn't necessarily say how bad this team is. This is how bad the weather is for your not your starting quarterback, not your running back, not your tight end, not your receiver. To be your main running back for this game, it just shows how bad it is. If you look at some of the running backs, I don't know who the starter is. One guy had one carry for negative eight yards. One guy had one carry for negative 14 yards. Another guy had a carry for negative two yards. So if it wasn't for their – it's funny thing is even though they lost, if it wasn't for their backup quarterback – the game could have been a lot worse, which I know that's hard to imagine when you're down 12 to zero and you already give up a safety. This, in my opinion, says more about Army's defense. Again, I'm not saying that just because Navy's this offensive firepower, offensive firehouse, but it's defense and the running game, which I never thought would ever be possible. I, I don't have much else to say. You see, the first Navy looks like a team that shouldn't belong in the NCAA. I can give them credit for fog. But, dude, you completed one pass. Like, your backup quarterback outplayed the starting quarterback in mobility. I don't know what else to say. This is one of the more crazier games I've seen in college football in a very long time. Isaiah, definitely a crazy game because you're talking about this fog just hanging over the stadium. And I think it got worse and worse and worse as this game had gone on, which I think, though, benefited, though, both teams, in my opinion, because you're talking about both teams that are option-heavy, run-the-ball-heavy uh, schools, basically. We see this a lot with Air Force and with uh, Army and Navy, where you're used to the triple option or running plays in general. And I know that there was very lack of passing, but I think with the weather, as John had alluded to, though, was a very big factor as to why the ball was not thrown a lot by either the Black Knights or Midshipmen. But I know you wanted to respond to John. Go ahead and go for it, bud. John, I don't think you should be surprised because this is how the Navy-Army games always go each and every year, regardless of the weather. Mm. They always just run the ball so much uh, in that football game. You rarely see that many passes thrown. I think last year, like, both teams combined for nine passes. The year before, they only combined for, like, eight passes. There's, like, just – you rarely see uh, a lot of passing in this football game. It's always just run, 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 and run. That's why I told our viewers yesterday uh, that if you know they don't like us, like they don't like the style, which is running the football heavily and playing great defense, then I believe that they should not watch this game and watch the uh, Miami North Carolina game or another game that is on TV because that's how this game is always uh, played. Or yeah, that's how this game is always played. And like this is how it's going to be played, not just uh, today, but for years on forward. Definitely agree for sure. Uh, with that in mind, as mentioned, folks, uh, Navy shuts out Army today, fifteen nothing. Again, the first time that these two schools have played on a college campus since World War II in 1943. Plenty of thoughts, guys, uh, from this from James Gonzalez writing in about this game. He says, "Cool seeing snow and fog in the game today." Was also hoping to see Air Force play in the game to see some passing attempts. Ha, ha, ha. And James also says, never have understood why they don't delay games that have heavy or moderate fog in them. My only thing about that is you're talking about how long is the delay going to be and how long is the fog hanging around the, you know, around the stadium. I know it's one thing to delay, to delay it for lightning, 
But with fog, snow, rain, you pretty much play through it. But I would agree, though, that there should be maybe some better explanations about uh, when, in fact, the fog is too thick to see, when, in fact, you may have to uh, move that direction to perhaps move that game or at least delay it until that fog can somewhat subside. But again, the Black Knights over the midshipmen, 15 nothing. So Army does beat Navy in 2020. Next up, fellas, down in Miami, the UNC Tar Heels faced off with the Miami Hurricanes, fellas, and it's probably the worst loss I've seen Miami have in a very long time. The U gives up the most yards allowed in program and school history as Mac Brown and those UNC Tar Heels shellack the Canes 62-26 from Miami Gardens, Florida, down there at Hard Rock Stadium. You know, Isaiah, I know that, of course, we had we all had picked uh, Miami to win this game on uh, No BS on Friday. But I'll tell you what, though, man, I have got to give props to Mac Brown for not calling off the dogs in this game. I know a lot of people probably say, oh, you need to stop scoring points. You know what? Miami deserves it, though, for how they, you know, carry themselves on and off the field. And their reputation has been known very well. And they would have done the same, uh, the same thing. But not just that, though. How about not one but two phenomenal games by the Tar Heels running backs. Again, this is the most yards allowed by a Canes football team in school history. You're talking about a lot of great players who've come through this program down there in Miami. And again, Isaiah, they also give up 62 points to uh, North Carolina in this game and has mentioned the most yards allowed in school history by the Canes in this ball game. Isaiah, I think the other, the other great thing I, I saw, though, was anytime that, that the Heels scored, they put the U up and threw it right down in, uh, towards all those fans down there as well at Hard Rock Stadium. But Isaiah, your thoughts is North Carolina clobbers the Canes on the road nonetheless, 62-26 UNC over Miami. John, sorry about what I'm about to say, man, but the U is like Texas. They always, they always, always, always get hyped up when they have like this false hope when their team, you know, is uh, in Miami's case, I believe they were eight and one um, and Texas, like just when they're, when they go, when they have a, either like a winning season or they beat Oklahoma or, you know, they win a sugar bowl or whatever, they just get this false hope. And then they're always like, oh yeah, we are. Kind of like you with Michigan. I can't believe you have to bring that up, Callan. But hey, the, I, if I can handle the heat, you could do it. The U and Texas, they're in the same boat. They're always, always proclaiming that they're back under false hope. And every time. And once again, just like Michigan. Every time they do that, they just get put in their place once again. And this is what happened in this game. I mean, my God, I thought I was watching Marshawn Lynch and Adrian Peterson running against little kids out there. That's how pathetic Miami's run defense was. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Javante Williams, number 25. He was running like Marshawn Lynch. There was a run in this game where the Tar Heels the ball, I believe it was first and 10, at their own 30. And this guy runs it right up the middle, breaks like 30 tackles, and then bounces off a, a hard hit from one of a defender from Miami, and he just keeps going. Like, I thought that was Marshawn Lynch out there. I was like, am I watching a Seahawks game? Am I watching a Vikings game from back in 2009? These guys were 
make it, we're making these two running backs look like all pros and future Hall of Famers. Uh, Michael Carter, 24 carries, 308 yards, two touchdowns. Javante Williams, 23 carries, 236 yards, three touchdowns. The defense from Miami was so pathetic in this game. Uh, it was like I, I had never seen anything like this. Uh, there were. You, you, the quarterback, Sam Howe, who was a tremendous player, he didn't even have to do that much. He just handed off to the running backs, and then the offensive line creates massive holes for them to run through. Uh, it was just a pathetic performance all around for the Miami Hurricanes offense, defense, and special teams. And, you know, Manny Diaz, who is the head coach at Miami, he should be ashamed because he's the guy that also calls defensive plays. And – for his defense to get gashed like that is unacceptable, man. They have to fix that uh, ASAP if they really want to get on Clemson's level. Because you're giving, if you're giving up over 500 yards rushing to freaking North Carolina, imagine how Clemson would run through you uh, if you guys were ever to play Clemson. So the U is not back. Set up. Neither is Michigan. Yes, but I'm sorry, Miami's not back. They won't be back. Neither is Georgia. Get over it, folks. The U is done. So is Michigan, and so is Georgia, and so is the San Francisco 49ers. With that in mind, John, you know, like I said, though, old friend Mac Brown, of course, uh, now coaching at UNC. And again, I do give him some praise, though I picked Miami to win this game, for not taking the foot off the gas. I know a lot of people would say, okay, you're already up by enough. You've held them in check. You know, no need to do it. You know what? That rule book, you know, that rule goes out the window in my mind, especially as we know about Miami's history and how they've been. And again, more so about their, you know, maybe stuff on the field, off the field, whatnot. But more so, again, they give up over 700 plus yards in this game. It's a school record for yards allowed in a ball game. And it's against North Carolina, who again just had a two-headed monster running the football down their throats every single time you turned around in this ball game. John, overall thoughts as UNC with a very huge statement victory over Miami. Again, they throw up 62 points on the board and beat the Canes in Miami, 62-26 tonight down there in Miami Gardens. Well, cheers. Mac Brown still doing what he's doing in the NCAA. Ray Lewis would be ashamed. Sean Taylor, rest in peace, would be ashamed. I believe you also had every who played at Miami. All of those guys and many more would be horrendously ashamed right play the paid defense defense so it's it's like miami i know isn't back i know ut isn't back but at least isaiah i come and face the heat i don't retract my statement and i don't make excuses miami's defense looks so poor that they are arrested for impersonating an NCAA football team in real life and in the old NCAA games. I'm happy for Mac Brown. I'm still a fan of Mac Brown, even though he's no longer at UT. Dude, how do you? How does a running back? Again, I don't know much about Michael Carter, but 12.8 yards a carry. Jeez, this is different than the NFL. This is even worse. This is before the NFL. I say that the Steelers, it benefits them losing, but Miami, it does not benefit them losing. Because you know one loss in the year pretty much very increasingly damages your playoff chances and contending chances. You lose two games, you're pretty much out of the 
college football playoffs unless you're Alabama and they'll make in 100% big exception. North Carolina, I, I think this is more about Miami negatively because Miami, again, this is what people need to understand about football. Your record does not always reflect how much talent and how much success you're going to have for the entire season. Once people understand that about football, no matter how great your record is, you're going to have a lot of weaknesses. And that defense, it's like the defense, it's like all the guys on defense had COVID. So you got guys from Walmart, HB, Target, all these uh, discount, Dollar Tree, Dollar, whatever, Sands Club, the to, to play defense for the Miami Hurricanes. Sean Taylor, I keep referring to, but great player for Adam Miami, would, rest in peace, would be ashamed. What is Miami used to be known for back in the day? Defense. Defense. Exactly, Callan. It's even way before my time, before I started watching football. Miami's defense. All of them, if this was the NFL, they would be fired. Anybody that has a scholarship on that defense, and if they do, should lose it. Miami obviously probably wasn't going to make the playoffs because, like Isaiah says, and I'll keep the same energy, sooner or later, Miami is going to get exposed. Either it's a game before the playoffs or in the playoffs. It wouldn't benefit Miami going to the playoffs and losing in one game because there's still way too many holes. for the la- Maybe if I go back in history, if I remember incorrectly, when's the last time Miami had a star-studded quarterback that made it into the NFL and was elite in college? I, I generally do not remember. Brad Kaya. Well, again, he didn't make it into the NFL. If he did, I don't even know if he's on the roster currently. So Miami is, again, defense and the running game. And clearly, either you put in the game plan, do not run the football, do not play defense. That's basically what he was saying. This is their game plan they had today for Mac Brown. There's nothing there. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Mac Brown, I'm happy for him. Even though my Longhorns suck, it's still kind of a – Good thing for him. Been burned for him for the past couple of years. He's turned around a, a team in the college football where they don't necessarily get talked about. They really don't. Like, imagine when we watch college football. When's the last time, Callan, or even at all, we've talked about North Carolina? Not for a while. Probably not ever, honestly. Exactly. So this just... Shows how much this just shows how great Mac Brown is as a head coach. Would it be back at UT? No, but he's doing something great. How he is a great, great locker, great lockers room atmosphere translates to better on the field chemistry, off the field chemistry, and it shows in this game. I'm not saying they're a plastic, no, but they're an improving team to pretend to be talked about in the future for college football. Am I saying they're going to be a contender? Maybe not, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Just us talking about them as a decent team is progress to what they've had before. I'm not saying their defense is top five or top ten in college. It's not. It just exposes how bad this team is. Remember the other guy that transferred from a house seminary? Or I can't remember what uh, college. And now he's back up from Miami. Tate Martell, I can't remember his name. Clearly, this just shows that either North Carolina has a bad offense or an average offense 
or just a much better defense, or Miami just has a terrible team overall. Your quarterback in college, again, 14 completed passes just for 223 in one TD. So I'm not sure if he's a good quarterback or not. I'm not sure exactly who they face this year. But look at it, Miami. And effectively couldn't run the football. If you let your running back in college run more than four-point yards per carry, the chances of you winning is nearly impossible. You run the football means you run down the clock, maintain time of possession. Teams get tired. That's what we saw from Miami. Miami was never a thing before, and they aren't now. They're exposed. I'm more happy for Mac Brown again. I probably picked them North because I'm I'm biased because I've been a big fan of Mac Brown. But the running game now again, are they going to do that next week or different whoever they play next? Probably not. But for us to be talking about them is a major accomplishment. Mac Brown, cheers to you, bro. It's a, I think it's a testament to Mac Brown with, again, how he's been. And we know his track record at UT kind of got away for a bit, took over the job at UNC. Uh, but more so, guys, this for me, though, is just about, you know, North Carolina running the ball up and down on Miami and just more so the no mercy mindset. And, of course, I think that's what probably is more adds more to it for me is, you know, basically, yeah, it looks like they ran the score up. But honestly, you know, when you when you play Miami, you really can't afford to make any mistakes against that ball club. Plenty of thoughts, though, guys, rolling in from the live chat box, all via our man, James Gonzalez. He first says, that was fun to watch by North Carolina. Feels so good for Mac Brown to drill Miami today. And yes, the U is still not back, sorry to say. And yes, just like Michigan. Yeah, they're not back either, and they won't be back anytime soon. Also, uh, James comments about the Canes uniform selection. They were hideous today. Where's the green and orange? I had said the same thing about BYU playing SDSU tonight, uh, wearing the matte black. It's like, why? You're blue and white. Come on now. And also, James says, no one is scared of those Category 0 Hurricanes. And then also, he goes on, guys, to name a couple of notable uh, Hurricane quarterbacks that actually had success in the NFL. Jim Kelly. Did he go to Miami, Florida, or Miami, Ohio? I think it's my. I think he went to Miami, Ohio, and then he went to the Houston Gamblers of the uh, USFL. James also name drops Bernie Kosar and Vinny Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde is probably the only one on that list that had some success in the NFL, but it just shows to a testament of how the coaches and staff, everything, are not what we thought they were. Yeah, I, I don't know though if Jim Kelly went to Miami, Florida. I think he went to the same one as. Ben Roethlisberger, we went to Miami, Ohio, I think. One of the Miamis, but either way. Uh, and also, um, the last notable UNC quarterback, guys, Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, that was the last notable UNC quarterback. With that no, guy was, in mind, what was that, John? Was Mac Brown there at the time? I don't think so. I think I think Mitch <sighs> was there just before Mac came to Chapel Hill, I think. <laughs> okay, sorry, that scared me for a second. But that's like the last notable UNC quarterback that I think anyone has known. And uh, James does, in fact, clarify that, yes, Jim Kelly did go to Florida. Because I know that, the, obviously, there's two Miami programs, and they always abbreviate OH or FL. So thank you, James, for the clarification. With that guy staying in Florida, but over in Gainesville, uh, quite a game here. Also, with the fog rolling into in Gainesville, but the LSU Tigers stunned Florida 37-34 on a game-winning 
career-long field goal for their place kicker of 57 yards right from the Gator logo. This also, guys, comes on the heel of a very untimely and stupid unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on the Gators on one of their defensive players who literally grabbed a shoe from the LSU player he tackled and he threw it 20 yards downfield for a personal foul and unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, I should say, after, uh, after the play was over for a first down. So Isaiah, Florida takes another loss. They now have two on the season. Still, though, honestly, though, even though that Florida loses, makes no difference. They are going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game coming up next Saturday from Mercedes-Benz Stadium down there in Atlanta. But Isaiah, you want to talk about self-destruction, self-imploding and destructing with a very bonehead and stupid unsportsmanlike conduct penalty at the worst possible time of a tie game, 34-34. And it also boils down, though, too, to Evan McPherson coming oh so close to tying this game at the final buzzer, but the kick just sails to the very far left of the goalpost to miss it for the tie. The Tigers win in Gainesville. Isaiah, give us your thoughts here more so on how, in fact, this uh, game finished, though, because I think it was probably one of the more better finishes on the night uh, in college football. Isaiah, you're muted. Wow, Cal and John. Um, my reaction to this is that Florida, with their stupidity, absolutely deserve to lose this football game. I mean, my gosh. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember who was that guy on Florida that threw the football. I think it, uh, it was number three, but I don't know the exact name of the player. But – Let's call him number three because you know he. Did, I mean, for we he doesn't even get his name to be name dropped on the show after his ridiculous, hideous action that he did to to cost the Florida Gators that game. You you had LSU stop. They were getting ready to punt. You you had forced a three and out. You would have gotten the ball back with probably like 30 seconds left. And with your dynamic offense and two timeouts left, you probably would have done something, gotten to field goal range, and probably won the football game. But you decide to – you decide after the third down stop to celebrate by grabbing an opponent's shoe and chugging it 20 yards downfield – and that's why your team loses? I mean, how stupid can you be? When I when I watched that, I was like, oh, dear God. That player might have just cost the Florida Gators that game with his stupid actions, and indeed it did. That player should be kicked out of the program, should have his scholarship taken away because – First of all, you, you cost your team a chance at the playoffs. You cost your team a chance of beating LSU with your selfish actions. And he shouldn't be able, even be able to play next week against Alabama. He should be punished for that game because that was a selfish action by that Florida player. It was so dumb. I mean, it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my young life watching college football. But besides that, 
LSU, I believe, was the better team in this football game. Florida, for me, they just looked like they were looking ahead to Alabama for much of this game. I mean, their offense looked flat in the beginning. Kyle Trask threw two interceptions in the first half. Their defense couldn't stop LSU to save their life. And it was kind of a – it was a really pathetic performance in the be- – uh, especially in the beginning before the, like Florida turned it on late in the football game before that stupid action by number three. But – the defense looked like they were looking ahead to Alabama. Their offense looked like they were looking ahead to Alabama. And Dan Mullen, you know, he kind of – he was looking ahead to Alabama. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, you know, they just – I guess they were just looking ahead because they thought that they would easily cream LSU since LSU is 3-5 and five this year. They're not the same LSU team from last year. They lost Joe Burrow. They lost – all those studs on the offensive side of the ball. They lost a lot of studs on the defensive side of the ball. So Florida, you know, I think they looked ahead to Alabama. And with that with that mindset and with number three's stupid actions, that's what cost them the game. And it wiped away their playoff hopes for this season. John, I would agree with Isaiah more so because I've kind of been in that spot, though, where you see a team on the schedule, you see the record maybe, and you're like, okay, easy day at the office. We got this game in the bag. And it doesn't become a day at the office because you're not playing to your full potential, probably going through the motions. You know, it's like, eh, we got this still. Who cares? You know, yeah, they're winning. So what? I, I, I kind of, in a way, John, compare it to those lower-seeded teams playing higher-seeded teams in college basketball or an unranked team playing a ranked team on upset alert basically is like, you know, kind of in a way like they can hang for a bit, but you know it's going to end up becoming a blowout eventually and something like that. However, though, I would agree though with Isaiah about that of maybe Florida overlooking the overconfidence maybe uh, with them uh, going to be playing Bama for the uh, conference title next Saturday in Atlanta. However, though, uh, John, more so two things here. For one, for me, though, it is still the play of the uh, dead ball and sportsman-like conduct penalty for, again, the defensive player throwing that shoe of that LSU player. I, I know it's a thing to celebrate, but it's like, you know, college has, I think, more stricter rules, I think, in in regards to celebrations and taunting more than the NFL because it's like, hey, man, you're not quite there yet. You can't, you know, you're not making the millions of dollars yet. Tone it back. You know, kill the antics a little bit. That, of course, is one thing. But I will say, though, I think that James said it right, though, here. Pretty amazing to see a a college kicker nail it from close to 60 yards. I mean, you're talking about this kick being done right on the teeth of the Gator logo. That's how far out this kick was, and it was right down the middle. You don't see a lot of college kickers making field goals from that uh, from that length and from that distance. Uh, but John Moore, so I think that uh, obviously the uh, penalty that breaks the Gators' back is going to be talked about the most. But also, I got to say though as well, you and I talked about this off air though before the show though. Evan McPherson, uh, Evan McPherson, the kicker for Florida, deserves a lot of credit, though, because he tried to make his from 52 from the right hash mark. His had plenty of leg, though, but John, it just missed that left upright by maybe a, maybe a, an a inch. Hair on my it, was so, it was so damn close. But uh, more so, John, your thoughts on this game as the uh, Tigers win the game and probably get their biggest win of this very rough season for Ed, uh, Ed Orgeron's uh, Tigers down there in Gainesville tonight. Do people not understand this? I've already said this about the NFL. It doesn't matter what the team's record is. You take every single game seriously. Like it's the last game of the season. Like it's a bowl game. Like it's a Super Bowl or it's a national championship game. 
Miami, or sorry, they need to get off their high horse. Florida does. Because last time Florida, I can say, was relevant was Tim Tebow. And I was in middle school, folks. I'm almost 23. This is just like the Saints player a couple months ago. Like we ta- I believe we talked about it on the other night shift in one of the other segments. Where the Saints player had an issue where he could not control his emotions. And Javon Williams punched his lights out, yeah. Exactly. So thank you for pointing that out. And it shows that if he can't keep it emotionally, again, I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but I'm saying based on your emotions, if you can't keep your emotions, and believe me, I understand the excitement. I've been on the field playing football, maybe not at the collegiate level, but you're about to win this game. But or or so you think. You have to keep your composure. If you emotionally can handle that situation in college, what makes you think it's gonna work in the NFL? Because he could have the best talent, be like a Charles Woodson. But if you can't keep your emotions in check, you're never gonna make it in the NFL. That's not me being negative. This is just facts. We've all been in a situation at a job where it's exciting or tough, but we have to keep our emotions in check. That didn't cost in the game that sealed it. The quarterback's two interceptions in the first half was already dooming them. With the two first, with sorry, with the two interceptions in the first half, there's no way they're going to come back and win this game. This isn't Belichick. This isn't Urban Meyer. This isn't Mac Brown back in the day with Vince Young or potentially Colt McCoy. You had two interceptions in the first half. Terrible coaching. Terrible. Even at best, somewhat of potential offensive execution. Two first half interceptions. There was no way you're going to win this game, and that penalty didn't cost you, but it sealed the deal to lose the game and destroy your playoff chances. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm talking about his emotions on the field. People need to understand that when we're critical about a player, it's not about them as a person. I don't judge them as a person, but I'm saying as a player on the field, you can't keep your emotions in check. Come draft time, when you go to the draft, scouts, GMs, owners, coaching staff, or any of all 32 NFL teams are going to look at film, are going to look at this game, and I believe that could haunt him in his future, maybe future crew in the NFL. that can hurt his draft stock and more, even more things over that. Florida, they're done. They're not going to the playoffs, even if they were, even if they won this game. You lock, you next week play Alabama. Do you see what Alabama did today? You know, I'm not saying they played a team that was ranked or that's good, but they took it seriously. That's what matters. Even though we criticize Alabama about their schedule, I get it. But they take every single game seriously, no matter how bad or how good the team is. Because once you have that mentality, then you're going to win games. You're going to win in the big moments. So even if they won this game this week, they were going to lose again. They were sorry. They were going to lose the week after this next Saturday, this coming Saturday against Alabama. So it wouldn't benefit them either way to win. It was just going to delay the inevitable that maybe this quarterback isn't as good as he says he is or as we think he is or the coaching isn't as good as we thought he was or the whole team as a whole was a fraud. You know, I, you know, John, I will say this. I didn't mean to cut you off, buddy, but, um, there, if there's one guy I feel bad for, it is Evan McPherson because the last thing, guys, we want to see pros, college, high school, you name it, 
is someone make a crucial mistake in a big moment and then everything goes down south. You know, you hear about, you know, you know, Twitter nonsense and death threats. I mean, we saw it with Danny Green guys with the Lakers when he missed that shot in game five of the NBA finals. But that Evan McPherson guys probably sadly in my mind becomes the Florida Gators scapegoat because here this team was kind of teetering on maybe getting into the college football playoff and he misses the field goal by literally like an inch, maybe two inches. And now, sadly, in my mind, he's becoming the guy that everyone's going to pin their, you know, you know, uh, take out their frustrations on. And that's the last thing that anyone out there, I think, wants to see happen is someone get blamed or remembered for, you know, not being able to, to deliver in that big moment. Plenty of thoughts, though, guys, about this game real quick. Uh, first and foremost, James uh, first writes in, James says, was asking myself, is something wrong with my television? Speaking of the fog at the Florida game, as I mentioned, we had the Army-Navy game with the fog. Then the fog seemed to roll down to Gainesville and make it that much more difficult. Uh, we're literally, guys, we actually had the view uh, from the sidelines totally taken off the screen, and we had it from the uh, from the uh, uh, robotic cam that goes up and down the field on the cables. And also, James agrees, stupid play, throwing the shoe, didn't deserve to win after that play happened. James, I agree here. Amazing kick by the kicker for the Tigers. Would have gone, uh, would have been good from 60. Awesome for a college kicker. Again, guys, we don't see a lot of college kids making field goals from that far away. Again, my hat's off to the kicker for LSU, and I, I believe it's also his career-long field goal of 57 yards. Casey agrees with Isaiah as Florida looked ahead, and they looked like a bunch of Higgins out there, Isaiah. Remember, <laughs> it's Huggies, not Higgins. Also, James says that felt like LSU's bowl game win today. And uh, Henry G wanted to clarify a couple of things. Uh, yes, Kelly did go to Miami, Florida. Same year, uh, Marino came out of Pitt and Elway came out of Stanford. Greatest quarterback class ever in his mind. So thank you, Henry, for uh, cleaning up some of our mistakes here. And James also says McPherson is just a college kid, sadly. I mean, I agree, but that's the last. Especially, James, like I say, though, in markets where it's you live and die with these teams, especially back east, like in Florida or the northeast, this kid tell it becomes the punching bag for all those fans down there. So I hope that nothing further comes uh, to fruition with Evan McPherson. With that, guys, let's move back out west for a brief moment. A Pac-12 and bitter rival in Los Angeles, USC, UCLA from an empty Rose Bowl in Pasadena. A great finish, guys. A back and forth finish. And the Trojans escape with a 43-38 win over the bitter rival Bruins from the Rose Bowl as Keaton Slovis is once again... Cool under pressure in this ball game. But however, though, folks, things didn't start right for one Isaiah Leung and his man crush from USC, Keaton Slovis. Take a look. Come on, man. Let's get this first down, man. Let's go. Go, Keaton. Run. Run. No. Why would you take a sack? You had a lane wide open for you to get at least 10 yards. Oh, my God. Gosh, man, run the ball. Don't take the damn sack. It looked like you went bald there for a minute with how you, like, you're, you put your hand back in your hair and like, like some of it just shaved off. John also said it best pre-show, though, that uh, that was a much more calmer, mellow, of, uh, mellow version of another one of those that we had uh, a few weeks ago as well. Let's take a look at the original version of don't take the sack. Come on, Jimmy. We got to get this first down. Hasty's open. Hasty. Oh, my God. You take a damn sack. It was wide open. Are you far? 
I'm wondering why it was so like monotone for the damn for the college game, but it's like pull my hair out and you know make me go bald with the uh, pro game. But again, folks, USC does win though. Again, a very fun finish though from the uh, from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, 43-38. The Trojans take down the UCLA Bruins. As this game, folks, had so many twists and turns. And use and USC, by the way comes back from being down 18 points. This is their largest comeback victory since 2005 against Arizona State University. Isaiah, I know this game probably took like years off your life tonight, but I will say though, man, that they said it best on the broadcast, that Slovis has three of the five wins that the Trojans had coming, to, coming into the game today were all comeback victories led by Slovis, and he does not uh, disappoint once again, though, late in this game. Isaiah, your thoughts as the Trojans keep the bell and win the game over the Bruins on the road of 43-38 from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Well, Callan, my first thought is I have I was I had no panic whatsoever. I knew that Keaton Slovis was gonna bring USC back when they were down 18. And you know, late in the fourth quarter when US or UCLA took the lead in that game uh with about 56 seconds left. And I I, I knew that 100 percent that USC was gonna win. That's why I turned off my television and even bothered to watch that uh the last 50 seconds. I was so certain. I, I was so certain that you would be. But the reason why I was so emotionally invested in this game was because a couple days ago and also last week, I had been one of the loudest advocates for USC to get into the college football playoff had they gone undefeated. Yes. Yeah, I have been one of the biggest proponents of USC getting into the college football playoff since uh, if they had gone undefeated and won the Pac-12 title because they have a great offense. They have one of the best quarterbacks in college football in Keaton Slovis, and their defense has been playing really well as of late. So I told Trevor, I told you, I told uh, John Mathis as well that USC, if they do go undefeated, they deserve a spot in the college football playoff. And, you know, I – Everything was riding on this game since if USC had lost, the playoff hopes would be dead. They wouldn't be undefeated. Um, and, you know, I would have had to eat massive Which amounts of crow on this show. But thankfully, and USC bailed me out once again. But, Callan, John, I'm going to say it. You guys, you might want to put that uh, that screen that has the three people on it for everyone's reaction. But I'm going to say it right now. Forget Drafting a quarterback this year. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, I want you to Go. listen to me right now. Stick stick with Nick Mullins as the bridge quarterback, and let's tank next season so we can draft Keaton Slovis. Because Keaton Slovis, I keep saying this every time we talk about USC, this kid is going to be the number one pick in That's 2022. This kid is this kid is so good. He's got a great arm. He's got great footwork. He's got great pocket awareness. And most importantly, he is just so calm and collective no matter the situation. This kid, I believe right now, I'm going to go on the air and say this. It might be probably the worst thing I've ever said, but I don't care. I'm going to go on the air regardless and say this. This kid is going to be the best quarterback to come out of USC. 
ever. He's going to be the best quarterback. I know USC has had a lot of quarter, great quarterbacks, but Keaton Slovis, he is super special. He is a star in the making. Just look at these fourth, just look at these fourth quarter stats. Keaton Slovis in the fourth quarter this season. He has 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 75.8% completion rate, 139.9 passer rating in the fourth quarter. This guy is super clutch. He should change his name from Keaton to Clutch Slobus because he is the definition of what? He's clutch. He's accurate. He's got a tremendous arm. He's poised. He's confident. He's just what you want in a quarterback, and I really hope that the 49ers tank for Keaton Slovis uh, when he does, in fact, come out in 2022. And one last thing I got to say about this game is that, get, my God, Chip Kelly, what are you doing uh, when you take the lead with 56 seconds left in the fourth quarter and your special teams unit just falls asleep on that kick return? I mean, my God, what are you doing? You allow Gary Bryant Jr. to run out from the end zone and get to – the UCLA 45-yard line and Keaton Slovis and USC, they just need like 10 yards to get into field goal range and they win the ball game right there. I mean, what are you doing? Who what are you what's the strategy there on special teams? Like I don't really don't understand. It was like everybody was just sleeping on that uh possession when USC got that football back. That's what killed UCLA there. Uh UCLA's inability. Uh, to stop Gary Bryant Jr. and allow him to have a huge run back on that kickoff return is what ended up killing uh, UCLA. But I think the I think the biggest story in this game, besides that, is Keaton Slovis coming out clutch once again and bailing out Todd Orlando, the USC defensive coordinator, bailing out Clay Helton and his incompetent coaching and lifting USC to yet another victory. Uh, for the Trojans. And I think this season, there's a theme for USC season. The theme for USC season is that Keaton Slovis, time and time again, just comes through in the clutch uh, for the Trojans to bail out their incompetent coaching staff. So, John, it was more of a Slovis love fest, an actual discussion about this game, which is what I wanted more than just this love thing about this quarterback, which I, I, I get he's great. But there was a more to this story than just a clutch game winning drive. You had UCLA go, you know, go back in front with two minutes left. You have the Trojans again down 18, nearly take the lead on a pick six, but there was a penalty for a block in the back that kept them off the board. They end up getting that touchdown. It was punch counter punch for the last two minutes, I think, which I think, along with uh, LSU and Florida, was the best finish of the night for the uh, games on Saturday. But more so, I agree, though, two teams with very bad coaches. Uh, but more so, for me, though, that this game falls, though, solely on Chip Kelly, as Isaiah said, though, and his special teams. How do you – I know, of course, that there's there, that basically in this whole game, there was touchbacks and the ball going out of bounds. But you would still think, though, that even with the pattern going on, that you would have your team on special teams ready – in case they run the ball back and not sleepwalking back to the bench or sleepwalking past the 50 or the 45. And you again let and you let the USC run, you know, uh, returner go into your own territory in the waning minute. That's where I think the game solely is lost in my mind. It's not about Slovis, 
This is a loss purely pinned in my mind on Chip Kelly and the special teams coordinator for letting his guys sleepwalk on the job at the worst possible time in this game. Uh, but, John, your thoughts on a very great finish that would see the Trojans keep possession of the bell and beat UCLA on the road nonetheless as well in Pasadena on Saturday night. Chip Kelly gets an E minus, F plus at best. I'll let you all leave, do the math on who came up with that. I, Chip Kelly, after he left, and Marcus Mariota went to the NFL. Chip Kelly came back. And what has he done? I hate USC, but if you're talking about great college USC quarterbacks, do you want to tell that the Carson Palmer, who won the Heisman Trophy, who Matt I had in contact with and had on the show, Matt Liner, two-time national champion, three back-to-back-to-back national championship appearance, Hugh Jackson, Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush, that amazing staff, the amazing offense and defense of the USC. Again, I'm not a USC fan. I don't like them. People should know that. I'm a UT fan. My first game was the 2006 Rose Bowl. This is why I'm talking about this. You're telling me, Isaiah, your take on how great he is compared to other USC quarterbacks, you might as well use those Higgin diapers and start wiping, with, start wiping your terrible takes. You're telling me this guy right here was better than Carson was better than Matt Liner and many other quarterbacks for USC over the years. You're going to tell me that right now. Number one, you don't tank. I can tendency say, look at the 76ers. They're potentially going to get James Harden, which is a complete dumpster fire decision. And you have a terrible head coach in Doc Rivers. I said, you are going to tell me that this guy is so great. When's the last time, besides Carson Palmer, the last time a USC quarterback, let's say the past 20 years, has had some success in the NFL and had a great career? Besides Carson Palmer, three. How dare you disrespect USC? USC quarterbacks don't make it in the NFL. And Carson Palmer's, I think, the only exception to the rule. Agreed. And I'm not just saying that because I've been on it. He's been on my show. Let's just look at the numbers and the stats and his passing numbers and passive touchdowns are more than Troy Aikman. Let's look it up. But no, that's not the point. The point is, folks, it's not a, when you're talking about USC quarterbacks and what Isaiah is saying. It's not about what he's doing right now. Do we think he can make it in the NFL? No. History shows otherwise. If you're, people are going to be a football fan. History can be a big reason to prove your point in a sports take, and that's exactly what I'm saying. In the past, let's say, five, ten years, can we name a USC quarterback that's made it? Sam Darnold, again, again, in a terrible organization. I can say a somewhat decent USC quarterback, but successful USC quarterback, that is a whole different story. USC, I'm... I don't want them to win. I want them to lose every single game this year. I know somebody else that's not happy about that. But Chip Kelly, you're 100% right. I've been very critical of him. I give him an F- minus for the year. Some people said they gave him a B or a C. 
Well, I bet that's now down to a D or an F right now based on this game. Chip Kelly has never, again, it's not like, like Brian was telling me on my show, it's not like that they're not treated well. Do you know how much they spend on food and athletics and everything? So that, to me, it shows. All that being said, how much they spend on food and everything else, on coaching. Chip Kelly, even in the NFL, was never big on discipline. He had Mark Sanchez and Sam Bradford on the same roster. Think about that, people that are just now tuning in to actually learn football. Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez on the same quarterback roster. Look at the one year with the 49ers. Wasn't he there with the – no, it was a couple years before. But even then in Oregon. And now, what has Chip Kelly done this day with this team next year? 100% on Chip Kelly. He's never been big about discipline. They constantly lose recruits. I'm not surprised. I was surprised it was this competitive. Not because I'm saying UCLA is a bad team. I'm saying because Chip Kelly is not a winner as a head coach. Couldn't really certainly do it in the NFL. He only do it for two to three years in college. Right around the time, I believe he had Josh Rosen. Again, I may be wrong on that. Chip Kelly is a terrible head coach in college. I give him, I'll be I'll be nice about it. And um, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic. I give him an F minus. Chip Kelly. This is his chances with UCLA next year and the year after. Nothing. I'm disgusted by Chip Kelly. But again, you can't be surprised. We've overhyped him as the college head coach. I definitely agree, but more so that this is a game, though, that UCLA probably thinks they should have won. They should have won this game, but more so this, I think, though, it's on Kelly for one, but also that the special teams coach has to have some sort of the blame here in my mind, though, too, because you would think, though, guys, that even though that the game has had a flow and pattern of, no, of touchbacks and no one returning kicks, you would still think that he would be ready, though, in case they do run it back. And literally on that play, it was like the field had just opened up like they were already coming off the field because they were kind of in a way maybe running with heads down. This game, though, solely goes on UCLA, on Kelly, and on the coaching staff for, again, the incompetence on that final, on the uh, final kickoff of the game. Also, as well, plenty of thoughts. Uh, James says the Trojans, so lucky they had uh, time left to come back and win. Did not deserve to win, but thank goodness they did. Casey agrees. How about the Trojans showing some heart in the second half? James also says not having fans at the Rose Bowl was so unfortunate for one of the best rivalries in college football. And also James responds to Isaiah's delusional thoughts about Slovis being the best quarterback in school history. History is not on Isaiah's side when speaking of USC quarterbacks in the NFL. Casey also responds, Slovis is good, but still have Palmer, Rodney Pete, Paul McDonald, and Matt Leinert ahead of Slovis as well on that list. I have all those people, even Darnold, ahead of Slovis at this rate. And Casey says, the first half I was fired up, and they look like a bunch of Higgins in the first half. Again, Isaiah, it's Huggies, <laughs> not Higgins. With that, guys, in mind, again, the Trojans win the game. 
Very great finish, though, as mentioned, 43-38, the Trojans over UCLA. Uh, guys, one last game to get to. I know people have their thoughts about this with Vanderbilt football, but of course, uh, guys, Tennessee wins the game 42-17, but again, guys, history made, though, with Sarah Fuller, of course, the uh, star-studded goalkeeper from the women's soccer team, nailing not one but two point-after tries in this game, more so as they had their uh, punter kick the uh, longer field goals in this game, but Isaiah... A uh, great moment, though, I think, for uh, for Vanderbilt football, uh, Tennessee football as well being a part of it, but also for the game as a whole, though. As I've said, though, of me being a very big advocate for women's sports and getting that onto a bigger and better stage. Uh, obviously, a great moment, surreal moment, though, and also seeing all the players from Tennessee go and, and uh, congratulate her after the game was over. A uh, great moment for uh, both programs and, above all, for Sarah, her family, and, of course, for the uh, Vanderbilt football program. I know, of course, very bad season, head coach being far, but at least Isaiah, at least one very small positive moment from his Vanderbilt program saying, hey, we're not afraid to take a chance on someone who doesn't play for the football program and because they're not a guy, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I applaud Vanderbilt for this move. Uh, I think that uh, them saying that, you know, we're not afraid to take a chance on someone uh, who is qualified but is not a guy to do this, you know, I think it's great. You know, I think it's uh, showing um, other women, other girls out there that, hey, you guys can play football. You know, Sarah Fuller did it. Why can't you do it? So um, I think that this is going to be uh, – or this is going to open more doors for female athletes everywhere, and I really, really uh, truly like it. But – you know, I got to speak about the Tennessee part of this. And, Callan, you know, we've talked about Jeremy Pruitt on so many occasions here on this show. And even though Tennessee won this football game, I believe the score was 42-17. Yep, 42-17. The defense played really well. The offense played really well. But Jeremy Pruitt still needs to go. I mean, listen, I know you won this game handily, but you beat an un or a winless Vanderbilt football team. Congratulations. What do you want? You want a cookie for it? You beat a winless team. Good for you. But let me say this. Jeremy Pruitt, he mishandled the quarterback situation once again. He started Harrison Bailey, who started last week's game. He's a freshman who is very, very talented, uh, was recruited by a number of schools, decided to choose Tennessee. And he's he's a guy that is looked at as the future of Tennessee football. And what happens? Harrison Bailey starts. He makes a mistake. And in comes Tyler Shroud to take over for him in the second half. You can't keep doing this, Jeremy Pruitt, if you want to find a quarterback that can help or that yeah if you want to find your future quarterback you need consistency at the quarterback position you can't just keep rotating one guy in and then the next moment you yank him out and then put another guy in you just can't do that that's not how you're going to be able to find your future quarterback if you keep doing that in fact i think that you're destroying your quarterbacks by doing that you know because they think that by you doing that, it's just an indication that you don't have confidence in them, and then their confidence dies, and then when like it's their turn to go back in the game, they end up sucking because they don't have any confidence whatsoever. They're not warmed up. So you got to stick to one guy. Pick one guy, stick to him, 
and let him ride it out no matter whatever mistakes that he makes because, hey, we're all human beings. Nobody's perfect. Just let the kid ride it out and keep getting better each and every week. Jeremy Pruitt has to go because I know he's going to keep running that stupid quarterback rotation system that is just outright killing Tennessee when it comes to trying to find their future quarterback. John, before we get your thoughts on this Vanderbilt-Tennessee game, more so, again, the history being made with Sarah Fuller becoming the first woman to score points in a big five or a power five game, again, going two for two on PATs, at least today, as mentioned, uh, Vanderbilt elected to have their punter kick the actual longer field goals in this game, rightfully so, though, but again, the history made. Uh, but I think you wanted to add a bit more about Chip Kelly and the, U- the uh, UCLA-USC game. We'll uh, let you speak your mind here. Isaiah, can you put the camera back to where I can... Look at his air real quick. Hmm. You talked about your USC quarterback being one of the greatest of all time. Is that a disrespect to Carson Palmer? To Matt Liner? Not one, not two, but three national championship appearances and won two of the three with Reggie Bush, Pete Carroll, and Hugh Jackson. As defensive coordinator, is that a disrespect to Sam Darnold, who has won games? History, when it comes to the NFL, favors USC quarterbacks don't make it. Three, I'll say at best. Okay, maybe I'll give Sam Darnold the benefit of the doubt. Four guys right there. You're telling me that he's better than Carson, who won the Heisman Trophy. I believe Matt Liner either won it or is in contention. Reggie Bush. Who won it? You're going to tell me he's better than any of those. That is the most dumbest, or retract that. That's the most ridiculous statement I could ever hear. You're talking about what one season? Matt Liner did it for three to four. How can you honestly say that? But back to what you're talking about. For the current topic on the show. I know we say take every game seriously. You've won. You beat a team that hasn't won a game all year. That can't find their identity. Just like a, well, I'm not going to say that. But what do you want? You won. Congrats. Tennessee, this guy... Like, this is just like with Chicago in terms of when you instill non-confidence with your quarterback or with any player, I don't care what receivers you have. I don't care how your offensive line is playing. I don't care how poorly the team you are is playing or what the record reflects of their talent on the field. There is absolutely... No reason for that. With football, there's confidence. It's disgusting. Tennessee won. Congrats. But what do you want to say? You didn't beat Alabama. You didn't beat Florida. I mean, let's not crown a team just because they beat a bad team. But they had it mentally right. Beat the teams, every single team, and it does not matter. And Isaiah, don't disrespect Carson Palmer. Matt Liner, Sam Darnold, and many other USC legends. Carson Palmer 
and all those guys would have their heads shaking right now. Once again, folks, as mentioned, Tennessee does win the game over Vanderbilt 42-17, but more so, as mentioned, a very great storyline, though. Again, whether you agree or not with the decision, but Sarah Fuller, the uh, star goalkeeper from the uh, Vanderbilt women's soccer team who led them to the SEC championship for the first time in 26 years, uh, made not one but two point after tries to miss ball game to become the first woman to score points of any type in a Power 5 football game. So congrats to Sarah for Again, uh, shattering that glass ceiling, and hopefully we'll have uh, more of these moments uh, that become uh, maybe perhaps consistent with the uh, programs across the country at this rate. Uh, with that, some thoughts, guys, rolling in. Just one from Case King about, uh, again, in regards to the greatest quarterback of all time for USC. Also, Isaiah, Paul McDonald also won a national title, too, for the Trojans. Until Slovis can at least win one. Ease off on the comments. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but what do you got to say for yourself to protect your skin? Well, if USC wants to win a national title, right, they have to fire Clay Helton. I don't care if you go undefeated and make the uh, make the um, the Fiesta or win the Pac-12 and win the Fiesta or and make the Fiesta Bowl. Clay Helton is not the guy that is going to bring you to a national title. He's not going to bring you to the playoffs because he is so incompetent as a coach. He has to go. He is like the Jason Garrett of college football. USC, they have, they are a, like a brand in college football. They deserve better. They need to get better in terms of coaching. They need to go out there and bring in the best coaches to uh, coach this football program because they have all the talent right now. They've got a lot of five-star recruits. Uh, they've got a lot of five stars out there in terms of offense, defense, special teams. They've got a great quarterback in Keaton Slovis. It's the coaching staff. You need to replace that coaching staff. And I'm going to continue to harp on that until Clay Helton ultimately does get fired at USC. Five-year extension. Five-year extension. Please do it. Isaiah, Slovis is good, but he's not great like Palmer, Liner, McDonald, Rodney Pete, legendary names. He's going to be a legend one day, but right here and right now, that's no. With that, guys, we do have some very serious news, though, to talk about from the world of men's college basketball today, as you folks probably had heard as well today. But a very scary situation uh, developing or that had happened, I should say, earlier on Saturday in the world of college hoops with the Florida Gators uh, playing today. But uh, their standout forward, uh, Keontae Johnson, fellas, the Southeastern Conference's preseason player of the year, uh, sadly collapsed coming out of a timeout against rival Florida State and needed medical uh, attention emergency fashion. He was taken off the floor via a stretcher and rushed to a Tallahassee uh, hospital for further evaluation. The Gators did say he was in critical but stable condition at the hospital uh, over the course of Saturday. Uh, he had just dunked in transition before he had fell to the floor as the team broke its huddle and several players were in tears, and a couple buried their faces in towels as head coach Mike White gathered the, uh, the ball club for a prayer. The game did, though, fellas, continue, but the Gators were clearly affected by the scary scene of seeing one of their teammates uh, leave in the middle of a, or midst of a emergency situation. You know, Isaiah, that's the one thing that I think always is not really in your mind, but it's one, though, that you don't, you never, ever want to see come to fruition I know we probably have seen video, maybe people fainting during a performance or something like that. But at the same time, though, something like this, I know, is treated very, very seriously 
by both ball clubs, the training staff, the arena staff. Uh, and of course, we're in a way kind of taught, okay, where's the defibrillators at? Where's the medical supply kits when you need them, uh, need them most? And again, uh, more so Isaiah, the outpouring of support though that I had seen today, phenomenal towards Keontae Johnson because, I mean, regardless of who you root for, these are human beings. And I know that, of course, that we have, you know, had some banter about, you know, canceling college sports uh, brought up over the past several days, more so with Coach K uh, due to, again, maybe COVID, but more so about his team not playing great. We've had a lot of, you know, maybe some nonsense in people's minds about, you know, having these schools stop play because of uh, issues going on. But a very, I think, Isaiah, troubling, depressing and very sad uh, situation. But uh, again, hoping uh, all the best for, uh, for Keontae Johnson. Uh, Isaiah, any thoughts on this uh, story, again, that's brewing in college hoops today uh, with, again, a very uh, scary situation involving Florida men's basketball and, again, the preseason player for the SEC, Keontae Johnson, uh, leaving due to a medical emergency on a stretcher to, uh, to a, a local hospital in Tallahassee on Saturday? Well, you know, I just looked at uh, the latest updates on him and – you know, it offers uh, some glimmer of hope that he'll be all right, as right now he's still critical, but he's in stable condition. So that's uh, that's really good news uh, for Keontae Johnson. Um, you know, like you said, Callan, this is very um, – it's really sad. It's very troubling. It's very depressing. It's very serious. And the guy is just so young, you know. Like, it's he's really, really young. I think he's, what, 19 years old, 18 years old. Uh so it's, it really sucks to see um, something happen like this to a, a kid that young. And I really hope that, you know, he um, he makes a, a full recovery from this, a speedy recovery. And, you know, uh, I'm definitely like prayers up to this guy because uh, you never want to see that uh, for anyone. John, we know, though, man, that injuries are a part of the game, regardless of what level it is. But I think it's worse or more so. Injuries are scary, but I think it's more scary, if not, you know, absolute horror. When you see someone collapse like this, you see a gruesome injury. Again, examples of that, Alex Smith, uh, Kevin Ware from Louisville men's basketball, who shattered his leg on national television. You think of Joe Theismann, you think of other players who have, again, suffered some very, you know, severe career or life-altering injury, but more so a player collapsing, though, on the floor. Coming out of a timeout is something, though, that I I hope I never, ever see in person or on television. But hearing about this today, though, John, it just sadly, though, man, kind of puts in perspective, though, about how this game has been or, you know, or more so about uh, stuff of this nature. And, again, uh, props, though, to the uh, quick work of the uh, – the EMTs, the team trainers, and the doctors for uh, getting Keontae to the hospital. And again, hopefully that's nothing too severe. But John, any thoughts or reaction to the story? Uh, again, as mentioned, Keontae Johnson, the Florida men's basketball, rushed to the hospital following collapsing, coming out of a timeout against Florida State on Saturday. Folks, this is what I say. This is what we love, but also we hate about sports. Sports is a brotherhood like no other. Now, if you either played sports covered sports or talked about it. Callan, you've seen it. Isaiah, you've seen it. I know I've seen it talking to people behind the scenes. It is a major brotherhood. No matter who you play for, no matter who you play against, I do not wish injury upon nobody. And I hope this is a wake-up call to some people because 
This next five minutes are not guaranteed. This next minute isn't guaranteed. I don't know what happens. I'll be praying for him. People need to understand the power of prayer. But this tells me sports is a brotherhood. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of emotion from both sides of the court. Callum, you've seen it, obviously, covering basketball for a while, hockey, and a major G League for the NBA, I believe. You've seen the brotherhood more closely on the court than I've seen or Isaiah has seen on TV. But we all can agree it is a brotherhood. I don't wish injury upon nobody. I don't know the guy. I don't watch hardly, if any, college basketball. But for me, I'm emotional mad because you see the brotherhood. You see what you go through in sports. We didn't expect this to happen. Same thing with Alex Smith. There's going to be a lot of quiet people. A lot of guys, they just take some time, deal with it, and then get back to the game. I hope he gets well. He's 18, 19 years old. He has a whole life ahead of him. We all talk about family. We all talk about friends. But sports just has that brotherhood like no other. I wish him the best, and I hope that he kicks, you know, dot, 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 in recovery, that he comes back stronger than ever. I just can't explain why I love and why I hate sports when these things happen. To a certain extent, that's when the brotherhood comes closer together. You know, John, you make some great points, though, because, you know, I've seen maybe a couple of very gruesome injuries uh, the one that comes to mind in my time working in sports of 11 years was a women's basketball game. I was announcing uh, online play-by-play commentary for at Point Loma Nazarene University. We had played Seattle Pacific and a, well, actually two of them now comes to, or another one comes to mind, but at least in basketball sake, we were playing a team from Seattle and one of their, you know, big name players was just running down the floor with, you know, dribbling the ball down the floor and tried to cut and snapped her ACL. And I, as soon as I saw that, I said, we'll be right back. And I took the headset off and I had to leave the court because it was that rough. And hearing the screams of pain echoing through the arena, deftifying, you know, when your heart breaks for that player, uh, you know, because, you know, they, they've worked so hard to get there. And then we also had one in volleyball where a player on our team had a similar issue, but it was more of a hip issue. Same thing. I kind of, you know, said, hey, we'll be right back, you know, kind of in a way. Same thing, like, you know, hands over the eyes, you know, kind of in a way tears kind of start rolling down your face because you know about the hard work they put in. And with me being as and with me being a former athlete myself and putting in that hard work to get to that next level, uh, next level or play in general. And you see the hard work that gets put into it. And you see it all come to an end right then and there. And you see that brotherhood, sisterhood, the co-ed hood, you see the whole you know, team rally around them and stuff of that nature. And you can only, you know, as mentioned, hope and pray uh, for the best. And as mentioned, folks, again, Keontae Johnson, a star player for the Florida Gators men's basketball program, sadly uh, collapsing after a timeout was called or was just ending and had to be rushed to a local hospital in Tallahassee, Florida. The last news we had heard, though, is there is some good news for Keontae's health at this rate. So uh, we'll... uh, do our best folks to keep you posted on that story as more does, in fact, develop. But again, uh, uh, all the best to uh, uh, to uh, Keontae and the Florida Gators men's basketball program as they uh, look to uh, hopefully uh, play on for the fallen uh, teammate right now. And Casey agrees. Prayers out to Keontae Johnson for a safe and speedy recovery. That's all you can hope for at this rate, especially though in a day and age, though, guys, too, of 
you know, the strain on the hospitals with COVID and uh, flu season coming around, and you hope that nothing further comes out of it at this rate. But I think that John said it right, though, in regards to that brotherhood established. Like we say here about the brotherhood on this network and stuff like that. Again, uh, all the best to uh, Keontae and the Gators men's basketball program. With that in mind, fellas, John, the floor is yours, buddy. As the reports have come out, as mentioned today, of uh, the Texas Longhorns retaining uh, head coach Tom Herman as their head coach due to, I think more so, John, in my mind, it's sadly, though, a situation of a school being cash-strapped uh, or cash-strapped, I should uh, su uh, should say, with about $6 million still on this contract for Tom Herman, who I believe has done good in the regular season. But, John, I will say this, though, before we give you the floor here for the next several minutes here, is, like I've said, though, there are games you have got to win. And for Texas, it's beating Oklahoma. Sadly, Herman is 1-4, 1-5 all-time against the Sooners. And if you're not winning those big games, for example, to throw Isaiah under the bus, Michigan not beating Sparty or beating Ohio State, boosters get tired of it, fans get tired of it, and alumni get tired of it, and also the AD and the athletic department get tired of losing those games to the bigger, you know, to the, the big bad rivals. And, of course, Herman's record against OU, not the best. But, John, floor is yours, buddy. What do you got for us? Folks, what did I say weeks before? I've never been speechless, so I'm trying to come up with words. If they didn't fire Tom Herman after the season, it is a big middle finger. Again, not this one, but we're not going to do the other one on here. But the big middle finger to all Longhorn fans. Folks, you talk about in marriage, you talk about with friends, you talk about anything in life. You don't settle. Yes, it is going to be a tough road ahead. We have Sam Ellinger going to the NFL. Even with him going in college, you keep talking about the numbers. I talk about empty calorie stats. That's what I talk about with the passing yards and touchdowns in the mobility. Tom Herman is a joke of a coach in the NCAA. He shouldn't be embarrassed to show him his face in person in Austin. And in all of Texas, I said, if he didn't get fired, I will go down to the campus. I will sit there at the practice. All right, give me. Sorry about that. You're good. But this is just an absolute joke. This makes me frustrated. Tom, mind you, folks, when we were critical about Charlie Strong, I was very critical. Charlie Strong has about the same record against OU. Charlie Strong at UT. He went five and seven. Five and seven. Five and seven. They're basically giving you, they're basically saying, bleep you, Longhorn fans. We haven't won the Big 12 since Mac Brown. During that time, we've had David Ash, which who most people don't remember because he didn't make it in the NFL. You had guys after Colt McCoy. We had a uh, What's his name that transferred to SMU? Sam Michelle. He bothers me because when a coach or a new staff member for an organization makes promises, we don't want no false hope. We want the real thing. If you say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for this network, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z. Just like a Tom Herman for the UT Longhorns. I'm tired of Bull Hog losing. Tom Herman, I'm not saying fire him is going to magically solve everything. 
But when Urban Meyer said he wasn't going to take the Texas job and said that he was he wasn't going to unretire to come back, I knew that was the inevitable. I knew what Isaiah was going to say. Tom Herman at UT is 31 and 18. So you're barely winning 50% of your games in the regular season if you really do the math or do the math. So listen, sorry, listen, sorry. Less than 60% of your games, you win in the regular season. That's not great. One of the main things Tom Herman talked about when he came into UT was, guess what? Discipline. I've seen more discipline in a three-year-old trying to learn how to potty train. Tom Herman and this team, I'll give you a little bit of the benefit of doubt in 2019. So many injuries. Okay, fine. But when this team, their bread and butter was playing from behind. You especially can't do it in the NFL, and you definitely can't do it in college football in the NCAA. Playing from behind every single game, that's how you play. Well, you're never going to make the playoffs. You're never going to be able to do anything. As long as Tom Hammond is there, we're not going to win. You know, I'm saying we're not going to win a championship. You, Congrats. You beat Jake Fromm in Georgia. Who is the fraud? Who is the... Um, person you get engaged with, oh, I almost remembered your birthday or almost remembered our anniversary. But did you actually do it? Did you actually remember? Did you actually show up? Our best game, we beat Georgia. And then we beat Drew Locke. We now, he worked out in the NFL. He stinks. Tom Herman is part of the problem. I'm not saying he's all of it, but one of the many problems, like I've already said, he talked about discipline. That hasn't happened. Recruiting we're losing recruits, and guys, when they get recruited, they decommit. We lost a four- to five-star recruit to, I believe, Ohio State in 2022. So he'll be a freshman in 2022 college football season. Tom Herman is 9-10 and 10 against top 25 opponents. And 1-4 and four against Oklahoma, the same record as Charlie Strong, who I believe, I don't believe, is coaching in the NCAA right now. And if he is, he's doing an absolute terrible job. Five and seven, five and seven, five and seven. We also had another tall quarterback who was going to be playing tight end in the NFL. I can't remember. He's a tall guy, number 13. Can't remember his name. Somebody, if they know, do some research while I'm ranting about this, let me know. Longhorns. I have way too many things to figure out. This is why also Mac Brown near the end had to go. You saw the undisciplined start to unravel. It was just time to go. His bonus is 1998. Not a single playoff appearance. We've never won a division. One big championship appearance in the Big 12. And guess what? We lost. You've never won a division. You lost against OU. Year after year after year. I don't want to hear about these empty calorie stats. Oh my gosh, you have... This many wins in the regular season and this many little losses. It doesn't matter. What's the big picture? What is supposed to be this picture of what we're wanting UT to be to what they used to be? Getting in contention for championships, winning the Big 12, beating OU, doing what they used to do. When I was in sixth grade, middle school, elementary school, the mentality, the discipline. I don't know why they can't keep recruits before the recruits even start their first year at UT. Is it all on Tom Herman? 
Probably not. Is it also part of the organization? What is the issue? Why can't you recruit? Because that was some of the biggest thing. Oh, we got Sam. He's not bad, but he certainly isn't great. He's certainly not going to make it in the NFL, and I hope I'm wrong. I never want to be right when I say a guy is not going to succeed in the NFL. Tom Herman, 17-10 and 10. in his first two seasons. 18 total losses since being hired, and it could have been even more if one of the games this year wasn't going to be canceled. Oh, because of COVID, so I'm not sure if we're playing all 11 to 12 games. So it could be eight, it could be, let's say, 17 and 13 or 17 and 14. Even worse, could have as many losses as wins. I'm disgusted by the Longhorn organization. I'm ashamed by Tom Herman by giving us false hope. It's like the beginning of a relationship. It starts out so great. We're going to do this. We're going to go travel this. We're going to do this. Two years later, your fat, you know what, boyfriend is sitting on the couch watching TV while you're doing everything, a.k.a. translate that back to Tom Herman, who has done nothing for this organization. If you won the Big 12 championship, then maybe I could give you some grace. But you beat your log. Congrats. You beat Jake Fromm, who's a backup for Josh Allen in the Buffalo Bills. There's no discipline. There's no offensive production, or at least consistent offensive production. You can't have consistent offensive production when your bread and butter as an offense is playing from behind. That's the problem. When you play from behind, you're never going to win a championship. You're never going to get to the playoffs here. I'm sick and tired of the false hope. Tom Herman has to go, and he's not going to go. If there's a lot more I had to say, but I got to keep my cool because honestly, there's neighbors all around. You don't want all the Karens, like all the cops, because I'm being too loud. I'm, dis I'm disgusted by this organization, but at the same time, I can also be real. What head coach, former or potential coming coach coming back to college football, would want that job? Is it all on Tom Herman? Is it the organization? Is it the owner? What are they not doing? What are they struggling with? Why they can't? Recruit. Your best running back was Dante Foreman, and he only played one year. Colin Johnson, one year. It was maybe on the practice squad for the New Orleans Saints. Tom Herman, I'm disgusted. It's a big middle finger to all Longhorn fans out there. Because you're basically saying, we don't care about winning. Again, I'm not saying you just fire him and magically everything comes out of your nose and wins and losses start to happen. This is not a one-coach fix or a one-year season fix. This is going to take a lot of time, and I believe after this next year, Tom Herman will be fired. Even then, if they don't fire him after the 2021 season, which is, oh my gosh, still a little under a year away, Tom Herman doesn't deserve to have a job in the NCAA. Because if you think in 2021 anything is going to be different from what it was in 2017, 2018, and 2019, or 2020, it's going to be the exact same coaching. Well, we start off great. It sounds great, like the honeymoon phase in a relationship. And then the reality starts to kick in. You start making mistakes. You start doing things you know you shouldn't. And the undiscipline and all the mistakes start to happen. Because you two starts off great. But if you look at the teams and the wins they have this year, you congrats, you scored 70 points. I can't remember... Who it was against. Against better teams. Your score was lower. Oklahoma State. You only beat by seven. You lost against Iowa. 
You scored 69 against Kansas State. Congrats. This is just like Tennessee in the game that they won. What has Kansas State done? You beat Baylor by only 11 points. You lose against Oklahoma in four to five overtimes. And if your offense was productive and didn't play from behind, you wouldn't go to four to five overtimes. So part of this is coaching a team's not adjusting injuries, and it's disgusting. If you look at even the continued wins and losses, and I'd say I hope you're eating those donuts while I'm ranting about my Longhorns. You play against Texas Tech. You're only beating by seven. This is not the team of the past where they used to destroy by 15, 20 plus points. Hesse used to have an elite defense, a great running game, a great quarterback, great route runners at the receiver and potential tight end position. This is not the old days of UT. You lost against TCU by two points. Here we see the worse teams we play, the better we play, and the higher the score is. That's not because Tom Herman finally figured it out. The light switch is not going to turn on. Tom Herman isn't going to win with UT, and I hope I'm wrong. I would rather be wrong about Tom Herman not winning, and then he comes back next year by Isaiah. Please don't say anything about them winning because, well, you know, I'm ashamed of my team. They don't care about the fans. They've made that very abundantly clear. But at the same time, who did you really have? You're going to start over next year, a freshman quarterback. I have no idea who you're going to pick. Tom Herman, supposedly, if Tom Herman does the exact same thing next year as he's doing this year or previous seasons before the UT Longhorns, nothing's going to change. New quarterback trying to do the same system. It's the same thing all over again. While Mac Brown is doing this thing, Tom Herman could be out of a job after 2021. Most definitely. And I think more so, John, to respond, uh, more so since Isaiah decides to eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts on the air here and not pay attention to the duties that we have here on the program, is that more so, like I said, though, yeah, the record looks great, though. But if you're not beating the rival schools, again, the Oklahomas of the world, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, you can have, you know, bowl game appearances or, you know, maybe a playoff appearance or, you know, maybe something like that. But if you don't beat Oklahoma, you don't beat that that rival school, that's what I think is more of that. I think that holds more weight in my mind than not making the postseason or a big name bowl game at this rate in my mind. Uh, with that, guys, we are, though, uh, running out of time, though, for tonight's program. We do have one more coaching note, though, guys, in college football. That is the uh, firing of Arizona head football coach Kevin Sumlin. Literally, guys, not even 24 hours after the Wildcats got spanked at home by the in-state rival Arizona State Sun Devils. How about a 70-7 to defeat for the Cats to have Kevin Sumlin fired as he uh, also leaves the program with a uh, oh, uh, with a uh, no wins on the season and a 12-game losing streak dating back to the previous season in Tucson. Isaiah, we'll start with you on this one, man. Uh, Honestly, I think that we all knew, though, that it was going to happen, but that U of A, though, swift action. That game is over the next day. See you later, Kev. But again, they, that's after a 70-7 to shellacking at the hands of Sparky and the Sun Devils on Saturday night in Tucson. Isaiah, your reaction to Kevin Sumlin being fired and leaving U of A with a 12-game losing streak on his belt or under his belt in Tucson. Uh, I'm not surprised whatsoever because, uh, well, actually, let me put it this way. I'm not surprised because this move uh, should have happened last year. Kevin Sumlin, 
uh, should have never, ever, ever brought back for a third year. He did not deserve to be brought back for a third year. Um, you know, I would have been surprised had they not fired Kevin Sumlin. Because let's look at these stats, guys. Arizona, right? Arizona, since Kevin Sumlin has taken over the program, Kevin Sumlin went or they won three games in his first season there. Uh, in his second season, I believe they won two games. And then this season, they're winless. They're 0-6. They finished the year with no wins on the year. They finished the year with a 70-7 to drubbing by their in-state rivals at home, a game in which they were down 42 to nothing at halftime. They were down 63 to seven at the end of the third quarter. If Herm Edwards and Arizona wanted Arizona State, they wanted to, they could have blown out Arizona's, they could have put up 80 on Arizona. That's how pathetic Arizona was. Kevin Sumlin, uh, I am so glad that he's gone. Uh, he should have never been the hire to begin with. They should have hired Les Miles uh, instead of Kevin Sumlin. This was a disastrous hire from the get-go, and I'm so glad that Arizona got rid of him. Good riddance uh, uh, to Kevin Sumlin because he was just a bad coach. He was he got uh, he basically rolled the coattails off of Johnny Manziel for two years. That's how everybody was like, "Oh, Kevin Sumlin's a great coach. He's a great coach in the SEC." But when you actually looked at his teams. Uh, pre-Manzel and before Manzel, his team stung. Isaiah, pre and before is the same thing. I mean, pre and after. Ooh. I mean, sorry, but pre and after Manzel, his teams, they stunk. You know, they were undisciplined. They couldn't do anything on offense. Kevin Sumlin is supposed to be a defensive guru. Well, their defense gave up the – the most points in the SEC in the last, in the two years uh, that after Manziel. So, you know, good riddance, Callan, Kevin Sumlin deserved to go at Arizona. You know, John, that's one way, you know, there's ways to be fired and then there's ways to be fired after you give up a 70 points to not, you know, it's 70 points, John, but it's 70 points to the bitter rivals in Tempe. By the way, forks up in that ball game for the uh, Sun Devils shellacking the Wildcats. As my uncle, who's ASU, as uh, my uncle, who was a ASU alum, would say, no pity for the kitty in this ball game against 77 ASU over the Wildcats. Uh, John, your reaction? Any thoughts about Kevin Sumlin's pat, um, uh, firing at, uh, by U of A? But also, again, over for the season and leaving with the uh, with the Cats losing 12. Straight games as he leaves uh, as he leaves Tucson, Arizona. Should have been fired after the first quarter. There is no way you can do this professionally without being mean. You scored seven points. We thought the other game was bad. Seventy points. Folks, this isn't NCAA on freshman mode playing Alabama versus New Mexico. This is a real live. NCAA college football game that happened. I thought other coaches were bad. You only scored seven points. Folks, you're not going to see a team in college football average this many points in the game, much less actually score 70 points. You should have been fired after the first quarter because there's no way. I thought I've seen bad coaches in college football. This guy's one of them. Like I say, I said, his first two years, he had less than six, seven wins. After that second year, or halfway through the second year, 
Why did they wait to fire him? I don't want to hear no excuse. If they kept him the rest of the year and then fired him, they would have said, oh, it's because of COVID. No, it's because he sucked massive monkey boogers because he was terrible. He should have never been back this year, just like exactly like Isaiah and I were saying. Me and him agreeing about college football, you know, that's very rare. But buyer beware. Any organization that is desperate for a new head coach, look at this game. I like how he handled the situation before you make a decision about hiring this guy because he does not deserve another job in college football. Pretty bad, as mentioned. 70-7 to in favor of the Sun Devils over the Wildcats. Isaiah, no time to add on, man. We are running out of time for tonight's program. Now time, guys, to wrap things up before the midnight hour hits and go into tonight's final thoughts. Before we guys get to our final thoughts for the program, a bracket challenge update. Again, folks, we had uh, Ryan Schreiner facing up with Martin Garcia. Ryan's draft day reaction topples Martin, saying that the Falcons would win the NFC South by two votes in tonight's poll. So thank you, uh, thank you, folks, for voting. Uh, Ryan is back tomorrow on Sunday in the uh, challenge again. It'll be either Ryan saying the Lions would win the NFC North against John Mathis ranting live on air about the Dodgers not hitting with guys in scoring position on the first ever episode of WST on this platform back in July of this year. With that, uh, John, we'll go to you first for your final thoughts for tonight's program. The entire Longhorn organization, screw you. Tom Herman should be fired. I've already had about that man. I'm ashamed of my team. I'm blessed to be on here talking about the show. My prayers and thoughts are with that college basketball player sports as a brotherhood and i don't wish that upon nobody Very well said, John. Tom, tom herman sucks massive monkey boogers and i will continue to say that year after year and not say anything else because we're on air yeah, very well said, John, about Keontae. Uh, once again, folks, the uh, Florida basketball player who, again, had to be rushed to the hospital on Saturday uh, in Tallahassee due to, again, uh, collapsing on the floor, coming out of a timeout. Uh, so, again, hoping and praying for the best for uh, Keontae Johnson and the Gators program. Isaiah, over to you for your final thoughts for tonight's program. Well, Callum, uh, my first part of final thoughts, I just want to thank uh, Casey King, um, as well as James Gonzalez, Henry G., uh, as well as Shardo Gupta, um, and let's see. Uh, oh, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty much all the uh, viewer or that's who that's the viewers that we had comment tonight. Thank you guys so much for uh, you know tuning into the show and giving us so much love and support. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, my final thoughts is I want to you know make a correction. Uh, that, you know, I said that uh, Kevin Sumlin only won two games his first year at Arizona, and then he won four last year. He actually won five in his first year at Arizona. He was five and seven. He was four and eight last season, but he took a program in Arizona that had won the Pac-12 championship the previous year and had so much talent coming back, and he just, you know, just drove them down to the ground, uh, five and seven, four and eight, as I said. So I just want to make a quick Quick correction on that, but still doesn't change my opinion. Kevin Sumlin should have never brought been brought back last season. He had to go, and I'm so glad that Arizona made that move. 
Again, folks, Kevin Sumlin, the head coach of Arizona, no longer, again, after that 70-7 to uh, loss uh, suffered at the hands of the in-state rival Arizona Wildcats. Again, fired uh, after that game on Saturday. Uh, with that, guys, we had one comment from Casey King about the uh, move by the uh, Horns to uh, keep um, uh, Tom Herman. Casey says, stupid move by the Longhorns. He needs to go as well as Clay Helton. But with that, guys, plenty of great football on this Saturday. Of course, NFL coming up on Sunday and uh, plenty more as well. And as a reminder, folks, but the fantasy basketball draft for the uh, MI6 Sports Network is on Tuesday. That, though, folks, depends if we can get our league uh, full to our full 10-team capacity. We're only at six right now, so we're trying to get some more of the guys uh, looking at the guy in square three below me, Mr. Alcorn, who may, in fact, uh, join. Just join. I mean, even if you don't fix your lineup, we just want to have this thing filled up and make okay. it as fun as possible uh, for okay. all of us here. Uh, but with that, though, I didn't mean to throw John under the bus there. But again, uh, we'll have that event for you folks on Tuesday. Again, if, in fact, the league is full. If not, we'll have uh, our regular programming back with you folks on Tuesday night at 10 o'clock in the evening. And, of course, we'll be back with you here, folks, on Sunday to wrap up a, uh, another great day of NFL football. We, again, folks, do not have time to get to uh, any games we're looking forward to on Sunday. All I'll say, though, the Bears play the Texans wearing their 1936 throwbacks. I'm looking forward to seeing those white unis and the uh, old school look and see them lose. Their seventh straight game to the Texans on Sunday. We'll see how things go. With that, though, folks, for Isaiah Leung, John Alcorn, and the rest of the cast and crew here of the MI6 Sports Network, yours, uh, yours truly, Tom McClurg saying goodnight on this uh, Saturday going into Sunday morning. And again, folks, we'll see you back here on Sunday night to, again, recap the NFL coverage and recap a uh, 14th week of the NFL season coming up, as already mentioned, on Sunday at 10 o'clock Pacific time back here on the MI6 Sports Network. Now, with that, folks, till next time, good night. Bye-bye.